Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, my first guest today is founder and managing partner of Triple Clicks, a consumer-focused strategic marketing agency that specializes in gaming. Now, prior to Triple Clicks, he spent a decade at EA, which is known as Electronic Arts in the business, driving strategy and marketing for the EA sports brand and games like Madden Football. I love Madden Football. We talk a little bit about that and how the trends are changing. And listen, by the way, one of the things you find out about this dude is he loves shoes. He loves shoes. Wait till you hear how many pairs of shoes this guy owns. I mean, it's... I have never heard of anyone outside of Imelda Marcos owning that many pairs of shoes. Nonetheless, hey, welcome, Chris Herb. Welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite Radio. Thanks for having me, Jeffrey. You know, I got to be the first to admit that I don't know a ton about gaming, meaning I know about gaming. Certainly as a CMO, I was always looking at it as a trend. But, you know, I'm not a gamer. Even though I've got an Xbox, they've given it to me because I was on Destiny and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And, I, and I voiced a game, um, that game, a few years ago. How big is the gaming industry right now? Gaming industry is huge. It's probably, if you take the music business and the movie business and combine them, it's probably twice that size. Uh, about $140, $130, $140 billion globally. Um, about 98% of Gen Z plays video games and obviously they're representing almost 40% of the consumer purchases now. Um, so it's a, it's a big space. Um, like, like, like yourself, brands, um, and other agencies are trying to really understand the space and grow the space. Obviously, um, it's a generational thing. So the young kids know it really well. Um, my age, uh, Gen X, I, I kind of grew up in it. So have, have kind of lived it a little bit, but it's, uh, it's, it's growing at a crazy pace. What game do you play? Uh, I have nine-year-old twin boys, so I'm stuck on Fortnite a lot. Uh, but I also I play a lot of sports games, Madden, FIFA, and, and the, the stuff where I used to live. Um, I play a little bit of uh, Minecraft and, and mess around a little bit. Yeah. So what, do you think it's going to overtake professional sports? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think it'll overtake professional sports. I think, obviously, professional sports is the best TV advertising medium. Anything live, I think, is great. But I I definitely think it's going to be the number one kind of entertainment section, right? Yeah. You're going to spend two or three hours at a movie. You're going to kid, These kids are going to spend three or 400 hours in a game when it launches. Uh, a game called Minecraft Dungeons launched today, and I, I guarantee you the servers are going down. Like, the world is downloading this thing. They're going to spend hundreds of hours kind of engaging. So it's definitely kind of a lean-forward space. Um, and as the generations change and my kids grow up and they grew up in gaming, um, it, it'll, it'll definitely be bigger than ever. Is it cultish? You know, I don't want to say cultish in terms of a cult, but I'm talking about like Game of Thrones kind of stuff. Like you're so immersed into it that, I mean, you eat, sleep, drink it, you know, you, 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 you're drinking the game Kool-Aid. Um, you, there probably are for some titles. I think the, the scale and size of the space now. So no one says, do you play games anymore? Now, like, that's like asking, do you go to the movies? Of course I go to the movies. Like everybody kind of within these generations of millennials and Gen Z, everybody's playing games. They're asking what games you're playing rather than do you game? Um, and I'm, I'm sure that certain groups of people have a passion or affinity for a certain title. Um, but, but the scale and the size of the space is so broad. Um, everybody's kind of dabbling to some degree. 
Do you think it depends on where you live or who you are? I mean, look, I'm, I'm a I'm a baby boomer in a millennial body. Okay, that's uh, that or no wait, I'm a millennial on a baby boomer body. There we go. That's the other way around. But you know, I again, it, it it just I never got into it. Now my son plays and he plays extensively, and that my brother my brother plays. Now he's younger than me. He's the same age as my kids. Uh, yeah. My dad remarried when I was uh, when I was in high school, and he married a gal that was like six years older than I was. So my kids are the same age as his, my my brothers. My brothers are the same age as my kids. But I mean, do you do you think it? I mean, because you you just said that about it's not longer. Do you you wouldn't ask the game question? Do you game? Well, I would for the people that I kind of know. Yeah. But I, at the same time, in South Dakota, I wouldn't ask you do you hunt or fish, right? Because in South Dakota, we all do. You know. Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I, I don't think there's any thought on the the baby boomer. Like my folks don't game either, right? But your yeah. parents, your parents probably didn't watch a lot of TV, right? And your generation yeah. kind of watched a little bit more TV. So it's definitely a right. generation. Your parents' parents probably didn't want a phone in the house, right? Your parents mm. may not have wanted a TV in the house. You're not really excited about a gaming console in the house. It's definitely a generational factor. Um, but I think as we start to look at kind of marketing to 18 to 49 year olds, I think gaming is going to be the conversation that really connects brands with that audience. Well, I'm going to get into how do we connect brands and do that. I'm going to get into that second, but what's the difference between esports and gaming? It's a great question. Uh, esports is people that are playing games professionally for money. So you know, mm. that size of that industry is about a billion dollar industry. It's really good. Wow. If you look at gaming in general, Call of Duty itself is probably bigger than a billion dollar industry, right? Like uh, Animal Crossing, which launched a few weeks ago, is going to uh, eclipse a billion dollars in the next month. So the esports e space is, is relatively small, but there is a large chunk of eyeballs and people that are watching it. But I think there's also what we call streamers, which are kids that aren't playing games professionally. They're actually playing on YouTube, on Twitch, and on Mixer, playing games, and people are tuning in to watch them. So not as esports. Um, but kind of streaming. So the amount of eyeballs watching other people play video games are, are, are bigger than ever. Do you, and, and what, so tell me about the esports side of this in terms of, are there fans that follow the people that are playing these things? Yeah, I definitely think there's, yeah, there's, there's kind of a, a, a rabid small base of, of people who are kind of following these leagues and these gamers and these people who are playing. I think the eyeballs, the most of the eyeballs are people watching other people play video games. So my kids, We'll watch a kid named Preston play Fortnite so they can learn kind of tricks and trades and where do okay. they go. So they're doing it because they're learning. Because I'm sitting there going, seriously, come on. I'm going to watch somebody play a video well, game. Do you have a basketball hoop at your house? Why would you watch the NBA? It's yeah. kind of oh, the same uh, thing, right? That's a fair, so, that's a, I mean, that's a fair question. But, you know, I tend to want to get off my ass and go do something rather than just sit on my ass and watch somebody do something. You should definitely blend things in your lifestyle <laughs> on the couch and <laughs> off the couch for sure. But I think it's I think it's again, it gets to a generational thing of people like, hey, if you're if you if you want to watch people play video games, it's either for a the entertainment or b the educational piece. And then how do I jump back into a game and kind of do that? Like, you know, you see the Madden numbers go crazy at halftime of the Super Bowl, right? Because people are going to fill that time to play Madden and kind of they've got passion. They're watching football. They want to jump in and play some Madden, um, come back to the game. So it's that connectivity, you know, between the lean forward for that for that generation. Again, we're talking with Chris Erb, the founder and managing partner of Triple Clicks. So with brands moving to a more customized and personalized experience for consumers, at least they should be, how can brands capitalize on this with movies or gaming? 
Yeah. I mean, I think for us, you know, our, my agency, our job is to help brands kind of come into the gaming space in a kind of a unique way. The, the biggest challenge is kind of brands want to get into gaming. They just don't know the best ways in. Um, so what we kind of say is, do you want to build a relationship with gamers or do you want to market to gamers? There's two different paths. There's not a right or wrong solution. If you just want to market to gamer, then sponsorships and advertising is a great way. If you really want to build a relationship with gamers, it's about finding a passion point for that fan. How do you kind of give consumers content? How do you leverage promotions to get them excited about your product? Like a good example is Fortnite does $300 million a month selling digital content on a free-to-play game. How can you, a brand, take content, put it on your package, and get people excited about your program? I have a box of Cheez-Its that we work with. So we actually yep. have put gaming content on the package. And instead of consumers buying this digital content, they get it for free when they buy a consumer product, right? So instead of, instead of spending $3 on a, on a digital product, you could actually buy a brand that you love and get a piece of content right off that package. So I think it's building that relationship and driving kind of consumers to retail, I think is a really big play for brands. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come right back because I got to go talk to a brand and then I'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back. Uh, we're live on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn as we're bringing you everything about gaming, esports, and a little bit about movies as well. As I'm talking with the CEO, founder, and managing partner of Triple Clicks, uh, Chris Erb, that does uh, you know gaming for brands and showing them how to do it. So it's a digital agency, and uh, we're certainly glad that you're here, Chris, to talk about this today. So you you were mentioning engagement, uh, or you mentioned you were showing that box of Cheez-Its. And they get a piece of customized content. What what kind of content do they get? Is it just like a special tool that they can use in the game? Unlock it? How do they do that? Yeah, it's a little bit of, of everything. We kind of work with the teams and find what is the best content that consumers going to really want. So from from different packages, you'll get either skins or characters that you can play in the game. Some things are called XP. So if you're if you're a consumer and you're playing in the game, it's going to take you an hour to earn something in the game. Well, if you buy mm -hmm. this drink it's gonna double your time. So you could actually earn that same item in 15 or 20 minutes. So you're actually buying time from brands. So, so if I buy a box of Cheez-Its, I get a grenade or something that I might uh, hopefully what, less, less Hopefully less violent than that, but like mini, yeah. these mini chips Ahoy that you buy here and you get like yeah. a character skin or a flag or some kind of thing that kind of a piece of content that you got in the game that kids can't get anywhere else. So it's really about going from game to game and figuring out what's the kind of key element of that game. And then how do we find a brand to kind of connect those yeah, things? I mean, it, it's, it's double points if you actually can work it where it's really good for the brand, right. In terms of that piece, right. I mean, our, our agency, we, we literally are probably a real estate company for brands. So we'll, we'll bring in these promotions to the brands and then we go to Walmart and C stores and grocery stores and say, Hey, we're doing this halo promotion on pack. And then the grocery store actually gives them far more space than they typically get. You're getting custom end caps because gamers are shopping more than ever in these retail stores and the retailers themselves really kind of understand the value. So the more that brands kind of can connect with gaming, the retailers see that, understand that and are giving them more space, more end caps, uh, more marketing for those brands. So are they more open to that? I mean, typically you buy that stuff, Chris, right? I mean, I buy the end cap, I buy the positioning, I buy the shelf. Um, um yeah, but getting of, that for free? Uh, you're getting it for free or you're getting it earned or there's dollars. I mean, most of the brands will buy the end cap, but a lot of them are only going to place what's on the end cap, which is important to the retailer. So they may have seven people trying to buy the end cap. But if you're bringing in a video game promotion like that, 
Um, moves you ahead of the pack. Yeah, you get ahead of the pack, exactly. Yeah, so uh, I love that you said you're selling real estate. So you're selling a whole package of where to put this, how to do it, how to move it. So it's not just the idea. It's really the the process and the solution, which I think is pretty unique. Yeah, it's from it's from beginning to end. It's really kind of sitting down with a brand, helping them understand the gaming space. How are they going to connect with the consumers? What's the right game? How do we put that game on the package? And then we don't stop there. How do we take that all the way through retail? Most of our programs are successful before they even hit the store shelves because they've got this extra space. You know, Kellogg's is going to sell through 100% of everything that's on the shelf because it's a great brand. Getting that extra shelf space is really the important piece. And so how do we do the legwork to help kind of brands get extra space at retail, I think is really the, the big win for them. So I was this weekend, I happened to be, you know, just kind of surfing as I was waiting for um, uh, a project to finish up. And I was watching television and a movie came on Talladega Nights with uh, uh, Will Ferrell. Okay. Funny movie, stupid movie. But (laughs) one of my product placements was in there, which was my Kodak NASCAR, which I used to, I used to sponsor with Penske. So that was a, a, a blatant product placement, but fit into the movie. Typically yeah. when, when you looked at brands, brands would, I would put our products into the movie, you know, I animated, non-animated. I had all kinds of different products that I put into movies like up and um, a whole host of others, you know, where they would use Kodak and um, or even TV shows, you know um, there was one TV show that we were looking to get started that I, that we passed on, which would really made me mad because one of the longest running shows ever. But how do you do that with gaming uh, with games or brands in movies right with inside of gamings me rather right because in yeah. movies i get it it's like a product placement and sometimes you can get it into the storyline but how do you get that in the gaming uh a couple things for for games themselves i think it makes sense doing the product placement so if you took an xbox and you're or a certain game like a halo and putting that in a tv show or a movie i think makes a ton of sense you're you're seeing the yeah. real world kind of in those spaces for brands, putting them in games, it depends on the games. We kind of recommend against that a little bit. Consumers don't want their experience to be interrupted, right? You don't want to see Kellogg's in a, in a world of Halo or in a world of- Yeah, or, yeah. Or, yeah I'm in Destiny and I'm, I'm saving right. the planet. Oh, let's stop for a Coke or a Pepsi. Yeah, so it that's just doesn't be, seem right. And it doesn't seem right. And brands are starting to understand that. So being in games isn't really the thing. I think what's really good is the, the world around it. How do you make a gamer's experience with Destiny, for example, better by buying a Coke or a Big Mac, right? How do you kind of give them content, excite them? So, hey, where did you get that? Oh, I got it from McDonald's. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to go to McDonald's. Your goal of putting things in movie was to drive sales and drive awareness. It's, It's the same thing. It's we're taking the games and we're putting them on the packages. It's great marketing exposure for the game companies, but it's also, you know, compelling content. You used to put people used to put movies on packages a lot. Um, and they just tell you the movie was coming. There wasn't really something in it for you. For gamers now, we're giving them content on packages. So the experience is better for them. Brands are having a deeper relationship with these consumers. Um, and there's and there's just more valuable there. So I think for brands to kind of connect with gamers, the, the, the studio or the publisher is getting something out of the marketing and the consumer is getting something for free. So it's this great kind of connectivity between all three groups. Are there some brands that have, have, have a greater affinity with gaming? So I get the like, let's say Cheez-Its again, we'll give them or Chips Ahoy or whoever you want to pick. But to me, okay, I'm eating while I'm playing the game. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, is there, is there one particular product that's more, uh, more, has more of an affinity with gamers than any? 
I think people that have been doing it for a long time get a lot more credit. So Doritos is a, probably a pretty good example. When I used to, I used to pick the cover of Madden with two or three people at EA, we'd sit around the table and be like, all right, who's going to be on the cover of Madden? We decided, hey, how do we let consumers pick the cover of Madden? So we, we picked a partner like a Doritos and we we're like, hey, Doritos, how about we let your consumers pick the cover of Madden? And Doritos is like, why would we put a video game promotion on our bag of chips 10 years ago? Um, we had a long conversation, tried to explain gaming to them. They bought in at a huge promotion. Now Doritos does two or three video game promotions a year um, because they've seen the success of it. And now gamers are, they're not surprised to see Doritos doing video game promotions. They're like, what are you doing next? Same with Kellogg's. They've been, they've been giving away um, content on Cheez-Its, Pringles, Pop-Tarts for a long time. So I think the longer you're in the game, the more affinity you're building with that audience um, the easier it is. We do work with, you know, we work with Nike and we do custom shoes because the shoe space is so big and that crossover between gamers and musicians and the shoe culture kind of overlaps. So how do you do something authentically in that space? We've worked with Hollister, um, the clothing company, like we've launched a video game in their stores because, you know, their number one audience is Gen Z, 98% of them play games. How do you have that conversation around your brand and gaming? So we actually built Hollister t-shirts around a game called Crash Bandicoot, where you could buy that exclusively at Hollister, which sold out instantly. So it's really about taking gaming and brands kind of find different ways, whether you need help to sell packages at retail or just have that conversation with Gen Z, um, finding unique ways to kind of connect them with that audience. We'll be back to talk a little bit more about this and what, what's the biggest surprise you've ever seen when it comes to uh, putting a product or a promotion tied to gaming. Talking with Chris Erb, founder and managing partner of Triple Clicks uh, Gaming Agency, and we'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're live casting right here on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thanks so much for joining us with All Business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite Radio, the number one business podcast network. And we're talking all things gaming right now. What's the biggest surprise that you've ever had in terms of like, oh, that didn't work or that did work or I can't believe they did that? Um, I think it's a great question. I don't know if I have a biggest surprise. I think we, we work pretty closely with Taco Bell. So mm-hmm. we do an Xbox giveaway at Taco Bell. So every 10 minutes you go into a Taco Bell, you text a code off the box and you actually enter, um, enter to win. And they're giving away Xboxes, very unique Xboxes. You can only get at Taco Bell. I think one of the coolest things we've done is last year. Are they when- shaped like a taco or something? <laughs> Consumers wouldn't like that, but what they do like is when you act, we don't overbrand the console. It's a very unique colorway. You can only get a Taco Bell. But when you turn it on, instead of hearing the Xbox chime, it actually makes the Taco Bell bong. I think that's, oh, the that's thing. cool. Yeah, people kind of go crazy over that. Again, it's not overbranded, nice, subtle connectivity yeah. between the brands, um, and people seem to love it. So that was kind of, we thought that would be great, but I think my biggest surprise is how much people really loved that from a connectivity standpoint. It's, but you know, you're getting to the point, which I think is kind of unique. It's an insider thing. It's kind of like, you know, in a game, you know, when, when I did this one game where I was the voiceover, I also did this stop uh, animation as well. So they actually filmed me with the rifle and all the stuff and all the moves. And then they made me do the Easter egg dances. You know, I had to do something for Easter eggs. And I, I, I said, you know, I had to say, what the hell's an Easter egg? Of course, hidden things that gamers uncover, right? So to me, it's like that relates to the insiderness of that. Yeah, it's, I think you're exactly right. It's about that you don't want to overbrand it. You know, you know you're going to get an Xbox. You know it's a different colorway and it's exclusive. But when you plug it in and you turn it on and you get that extra something, it's that really thoughtfulness and the value that they're giving to the consumer. So 
it, you know, and, and in this world with social media, everyone's going to talk about it. Everyone's going to know about it. So it's that engagement. And how do you, how do brands really kind of create something that's meaningful for consumers? Cause you know, consumers are going to talk about it. You know, in the world of gaming as in the world of online, there's some pitfalls. There's some scary stuff that's going on out there. And we want to be careful about that. How do brands address that with you in terms of those discussions? Like, Hey guys, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be, tied up with somebody that's trying to get into the bedroom of some kid or whatever it might be. And, you know, there is a dark side to some of that. How, how do you address that with some of the brands? Um, yeah, I think that that issue is probably more on the platform perspective. So how mm-hmm. do you, you know, how do you not like my nine-year-old boys play Fortnite and we kind of turn off comments on the Xbox. I think most of the, the gaming platforms have really great security that they've built in and parents can activate. So I think being around that stuff, I think is really important on the gaming side. From a brand perspective, it's more of what's the right IP to associate with the brand that kind of keeps their authenticity, if you will, right? So like Hollister doing something with Crash Bandicoot makes a ton of sense. I don't know if I would do a Grand Theft Auto promotion inside of a Hollister, right? That, yeah. that content that kind of is, is far more adult kind of. And so you don't want to bring that world kind of into that gaming. So I think as we work with brands, what are the right IPs? What are the right, right platforms to kind of connect with their brand to, to, to keep it safe and, and to more keep the guardrails of what the brand is really about? So what you see a lot of stuff, Chris. What are you most excited about? Most excited about uh, our industry is about to have a big shift in uh, holiday this year. The, you know, Xbox is going to launch their new hardware this holiday season. And it's just kind of an always an, ex- an exciting time for the industry. I think, you know, we, the, the, obviously the gaming numbers with all of us stuck at home uh, with extra free time, you're seeing the, the gaming business. I think gaming business year over year for the month of April is up 78%, right? Kind of when, when people are given free time, they're going to game because that's kind of their passion. Um, and so the, the industry is seeing some, some great upticks. And I think this holiday season, when we see new hardware launch, it's always an exciting time. Um, so there's some great games and great content that's going to come, that's going to reset for the next five years. Um, so that's probably the most, um, the thing I'm the most excited about. That's pretty cool. Now, one of the things I was looking at the notes, you, you got twin boys, which is cool. Now you were a bat boy for the Seattle Mariners. And then how many pairs of shoes do you own? <laughs> That's a loaded question. I don't know if my wife's going to be watching this or not. I'm probably four or 500 pairs of shoes. Pretty deep. Holy actually. crap. Yeah. yeah are they on. most, are they, are they hard sole shoes or are they, are they tennis shoes? Uh, they're all tennis shoes. No hard sole yeah. shoes. Oh so, yeah. It's, you know, it's the, uh, the Jordans and the Nikes and the Adidas. Is the What's your most expensive pair? Oh, I don't know about that. Um, come on, have, come on. I have, I have some unique, I wouldn't pay a lot of money for shoes, but I do. It's about access. It's less about the money and more about the access. How do you get the access to have, you know, today Nike dropped and I didn't get them. Um, they dropped some uh, Ben and Jerry Nike shoes today. They're called Chunky Donkeys that launched today. They sold out <laughs> in six seconds. I didn't get mine. So now I got to make phone calls to see who's got them or how can I kind of find a way to get them. So it's uh, it's definitely community. But that's the best thing about working in gaming is kind of that overlap because I guarantee you the guy who likes the Chunky Donkeys is going to want something from me from some point from a gaming perspective. So how do we kind of build these deep relationships to, you know, uh, it was always great when I was the chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak, I had Oscar tickets. I had uh, NASCAR tickets. I had Yankee tickets. I had all kinds of things. So, or the, you know, and it never, you know, you're living out in, in the LA area. Every year I would get calls from people like Oliver Stone, Sean Penn, wanting, uh, wanting free cameras, hundred dollar cameras, right? Yeah. It's amazing. It's always yeah. amazing. I'm sure they had lots to give you back, right? 
You know what? There's always a quid pro quo, right? There's always something. And by the way, you know, my belief is the more you give, the more you get. And that's always the way it works, isn't it? That's right. Hey, Chris, uh, talking to Chris Herb, founder and managing partner of Triple Clicks, exciting stuff with gaming and everything around esports. Thank you so much for being a part of All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned, but I've got Christina Giacomo joining me. She is the philosopher. She's an industrial philosopher. What the heck does that mean? We're going to find out in the next part of this episode. So tune in. I want to talk to you about that and what's Plato got to do with it. It's all Greek to me, but nonetheless, what did I learn in today's show? Let me tell you, I'll tell you, open your eyes, open your eyes. Sometimes the big things are right in front of you. You don't even know they're going on. You know, I'm so used to being things a certain, having things a certain way because of who I am what I do, what's comfortable for me. But there's a whole other world out there that I don't even participate in. It's called gaming, okay? And as a marketer, you got to know about that. As a trend, you got to certainly know that. Billions, $120 billion, I think is what he said. Holy moly. And the other thing I liked was engagement versus marketing. Engagement versus marketing. Long-term versus short-term. You know, hey, look at me versus, hey, let's go do this together. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, kind of insight. And then, hey, Chris, one other thing. You got way too many shoes. <laughs> no, you don't. Have as many as you want. What is an industrial philosopher and what exactly do they do? I'll be asking my next guest those questions. I'm talking about Christina Giacomo. She's the founder of More Alchemy, a high-touch philosophical consulting firm. She specializes on teaching executives the ideas and concepts, the greatest thinkers of all time, so they can better lead their teams to thrive. Because we're talking about driving and thriving right now. And I'm telling you, she actually says... I'm a lot like Plato. Well, you come to find out, listen to this show. I've never had anyone ever tell me that, but hey, I'll take that as a great compliment. Hey, Christina is part of our Thought Council, our elite group of thought leaders, of trusted leaders in the world, and she is the world's first industrial philosopher. Welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. You invented the term industrial philosophy. What what is that exactly, and what does an industrial philosopher do? Do you just sit around and think about machines? What? I don't know. What? What? You know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm really glad you asked, and I want to answer that question. I don't mean to do the annoying thing and answer a question with a question, but I, I want to frame this in the sense of, you know, really understanding what sort of situations people encounter at work. So what kinds of situations do people encounter at work? You know, they have to make decisions. You know, they may have a number of different options. None of them are good. And they need to figure out what is the best path forward. Perhaps they may be having an adversarial relationship with a colleague. They're not getting along with someone uh, or they're just experiencing a lot of stress. So to understand the industrial philosophy is to try to understand how people cope in the challenges that they're facing with their job. So imagine, you know, you, you have challenges, Jeffrey. We all do. Right. We're human beings. And so but imagine a situation where you're able to know what to do given the circ- any circumstance, you can handle a situation without it handling you. You have a set of principles and guidelines that enable you to use judgment, to have a clarity in your thinking 
to be able to collaborate with people and have better relationships with people. And all of those things, that's acting like a wise person, right? Yeah. So, which is, which is pretty, so how do you apply those principles in the workforce? So, what I do is I teach executives these ideas and concepts from the greatest thinkers of all time. And I do that in a way where I work with people to understand what their challenges are and what they want to do and where they want to be. And so then I curate specific philosophies and philosophers. Like I develop a philosophical profile for someone. So based on what they believe in and what they want to do, I develop this profile for them. And then I curate specific teachings and passages and I teach them how to apply these ideas every day in their working life. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a real, a real practice. And so philosophy doesn't necessarily mean thinking all the time. It can actually be practical and used every day. And so when you're working from principle and leading from principle and actually embodying this and be embodying being a wise person, things start to feel better. People want to be around you. Have you ever met a wise person you didn't like, Jeffrey? No, I always like uh, most wise. Why? Well, keywords wise. There's been some smart people that I didn't like to be around because they were just assholes or whatever. But, you know, as well. But they're, you know what I mean? They were just too smart. They're, you know, they were they were smart aleck on top. Not smart aleck. They were smug. Wise typically is is someone who's always wanting to help you or provide insight or to gain, you gain something from, from listening to someone who's wise, not always smart. Smart doesn't mean wise, right? Exactly. There's a difference yeah. between having the knowledge of something, which would be kind of in the smart realm and having the experience of it and embodying it and having the knowledge of self to be able to reach out to another person and understand their situation. So if you think about all of the soft skills that we want to embody, things like adaptability, resilience, empathy, collaboration, creativity, a wise person has all of those things. Yeah. And it looks like you were going to say something. Well, I was going to ask you something. So you think these these principles are just as good right now in today's business climate that we're seeing with COVID and everything else, or did they, you know, or do they need to be adapted into this new, in this new way of thinking? So the beauty about principles is they're applicable in any context, in any situation, because they're universal. They've stood the test of time for a reason because people understand them when they experience them. So regardless of, and, and if you think about it, I mean, philosophers, ancient philosophers lived through pandemics, wars, plague, I mean, all sorts of things. And they still were able to come up with these really great ideas and how we're supposed to live. And so it makes sense if there's these really great ideas and how we're supposed to live, why won't they help us and how we're supposed to work? So in terms of this post-COVID world, the only thing that's changed is our circumstances. 
but our beliefs and principles and the way to be a good person and the way to live a good life hasn't changed. And the, what's really interesting is that wisdom is innate. It's already inside of us. And so it's just a question of how are we cultivating it? How are we bringing it forward? How is it present in the decisions that we're making and how we're leading? So think about today and right now, everybody's facing obstacles without question, some bigger than others. You know, what do you think is the biggest obstacles facing business and people right now? So I feel that people don't navigate or understand uncertainty very well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with we've been socialized and conditioned to be a bit scared of it mm -hmm. and that we always have to know everything and we always have to have an answer for everything. And what the fallacy is, is that it's okay to not know. It's okay to not have an answer. And it's okay to be in an uncertain situation. And it's actually acknowledging the uncertainty as opposed to being in resistance to it or trying to solve it or trying to contain it uh, that the whole sort of frustration and anxiety, that's where it develops. So there's a principle from Socrates. One of the famous things that he said was, what makes me a wise person is that I don't know. I don't know everything. And that's what makes me wise. Anyone who goes around saying that they know everything is actually not a wise person. So being okay with uncertainty and being okay with not knowing actually delivers the answers to a situation. So I think the biggest obstacle is people don't understand how to deal with uncertainty because they don't, they don't practice this principle of it's okay not to know. As I a matter of fact, you, thank you. Yeah. You remind me a lot of Socrates. Well, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I appreciate it. You know, well, I always have this saying, I don't know what I don't know, but right now what I do know is I need to take a quick break. I'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're uh, live on LinkedIn and Facebook as we are doing a live broadcast right here on C-Suite Radio. This is all business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Of course, I'm talking to Christina. Christina is, uh, Christina, how do you pronounce your last name? I always screw it up. That's okay. It's the Giacomo. The Giacomo. See, I would have said, I always mess it up. And I, sometimes I have verbal dyslexia and I can't say certain words and my team's always after me. And I just want to make sure, but Hey, she is the founder of more alchemy, a high touch philosophical consulting firm. We're talking about, you know, modern day philosophy. We were talking about before, you know, I've always said, I don't know what I don't know. And by the way, that keeps me at peace because then I, I don't have to, I don't have to freak out all the time. Like other people do, you know, it's like, I don't know. So, but I know how I operate. So inside of that, I can do that. Executives have a lot on their mind on a good day. The current situation has just kind of amplified that. How can we clear the clutter in order to make us better, more effective leaders? So first knowing how much clutter there is, yeah, is the first step. And you know, I do this 
exercise and, and this practice with my clients where we do a mental clutter audit. So essentially what that means is I have them document every single time that they're aware of every single time they have a thought about the work meaning mm. a thought about what they're going to do or what's in front of them. And it's, and it's not a productive thought. It's not like working out is and it, applying. Is it, yeah. Is it usually yeah. a worry? I mean, it's a worry like, Oh, is, do I have yeah. cash off? I make payroll rather than focus in on like, okay, I need to do collections today or focus in on, I need to do sales today. The things exactly. that would get us past that, right? Exactly. So a lot of a lot of the you know a lot of people's learning curve, or it takes them a really long time to execute, has a lot to do with the fact that they're either ruminating about something, or prevaricating on something, or they're in a spiral, like in circular thoughts about that thing that they're going to do. So I worked with a client once, and I've done this audit myself where we determined that about two hours, two and a half hours of their day was spent in these circling thoughts that were not productive, that were worry, anxiety, or is this gonna be good enough? What is gonna happen? Is this gonna happen? And all, all of those sort of things that come up. And so when you start to calculate how much time we're spent in those thoughts, that's that mental clutter. And once you recognize just how cluttered your mind is and you observe what kind of clutter you have, that's the first step in actually addressing it. So it's being aware of your thoughts is really how you get to become a better, uh, you manage those thoughts a lot better and you understand where they're coming from and be able to examine them. You've written a great book. In fact, it's right behind you. It's front ways or backward. Don't make a difference. A wise up at work. And we're getting wise right now, which I really think is good. What are pillars of wisdom? Pillars of wisdom. Yeah. So pillars of wisdom, I believe, is dependent on the individual, right? So there's principles and then there's values. But mm. pillars of wisdom are really about like who you are in the world, how you operate in the world, and the truth of who you are. So I feel like truth is definitely a pillar of wisdom. Mm -hmm. I do, I absolutely believe that goodness is a pillar of wisdom. And I, I also believe that, you know, having a sense of your place in the world as you are part of a larger collective or a larger place is a pillar of wisdom that you are not your own island to use yeah. to use that expression so you know knowledge of self truth you know being a good person you know th those are the real big big markers of wisdom well, speaking of wisdom and a pillar, I like wealth, the pillar of wealth. And so I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back after this message. And uh, we'll be right back with All Business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite Radio. C-Suite Radio. And we are back and we're talking to Christina DiGiacomo from More Alchemy. And she is an industrial philosopher. You you wrote in your book, Wise Up at Work, you, you wrote Manage the Calm 
And we were kind of talking about that before, but talk to me about manage the calm. How do we manage the calm? So to, to manage with calm means that you are 100% in control of yourself and of yeah. your view of the world. And the things that you cannot control, you know exactly what they are and you know that you can't control them but you're okay with them. Okay, so, I can say that like Trump. I can't control Trump. I know that. There's no way. And, and, and I'm not going to let what he says or does, just like I won't let, I don't know, Nancy Pelosi, what she says or does, because both of those guys, they say something that just pisses me off. Okay, both sides. And so, so that's managing with calm, right? Right there, it's like, hey, I know. I'm not going to let them affect me. They can say what they want. They can tweet whatever they want. But I'm going to have this kind of fear. That's really what that's about, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Even with my employees or my team, right? I'm not going to let them. I, it's tough for me sometimes because they'll say something to me and I'll go like, oh, man. And I want to go off on that. That's one. Or, you know, that's, that's another example of that, right? Yeah, there's so many, what I call the working surface, right? We're presented with so many situations and working surfaces as we navigate and negotiate through our workday and with others. And each one of those situations is an opportunity for us to practice wisdom. And so even if it's, you know, your inbox is just an email every heartbeat, like, how do you manage with calm about that? It's knowing that you are not your inbox. You are not that that uh, crazy, chaotic, you know, circumstance that you are in. You are not that. You are completely 100% in control of yourself. And so that's what manage with calm is about. Okay, we got one minute left. I want to talk about the Stoics. You, you recommend that we go back to the teaching of the Stoics. Why will that help me? So the Stoics, they're all about what you can control versus what you can't control. But what I appreciate about the Stoics is they're also teaching that you have, you know, you have free will about the attitude you bring in. And that's directly from Epictetus who was a a Stoic from ancient Greece. And, you know, a lot of what they talk about is not necessarily being so Stoic, you're emotionless. It's just about meeting the situation and meeting the need in a way that is you're not attached to that situation or need, that you can approach it without feeling agitated, without feeling you know, like there's all this other stuff surrounding it. It just is what that thing is. And I find the Stoics to be very, um, a really great bridge for a lot of people uh, around philosophy, also because they're really practical. Um, But there's all kinds of philosophers, you know, Aristotle and Socrates and Nietzsche and Descartes and like all of these other philosophers that give us these great ideas on on how to be. And and that's what I do. I translate those ideas for the working world. It's a better way of living, a better way of working, probably a better way of loving, too. There you go. 
all those things, all three of the key things in life. So Christina Giacomo from More Alchemy, we've been talking about being an industrial philosopher and about how you should put that to place. And, and especially in today's world, I think that's a good advice. Thanks so much for being right here with us on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey. I had a great time. Hey, at the end of the show, I always like to talk about what I learned. I'll tell you what I learned. I'll tell you right now, mental, mental clutter audit. I love that. I thought that was pretty good. Hey, what's, what's getting in the way? What are you worrying about? What things, think about, sit down, start writing back. Every time you start worrying about thing or thinking about that clutters up your way of being successful and getting to where you want, and then write those things down, keep track of them, and then get rid of them. Okay. It's kind of like this last weekend, I spent some time decluttering my closet, my drawers, things like that. I went through things and said, I don't need all this stuff. And I had bags and bags of stuff. I got, you know what? I felt great. My closet looks great. Imagine you do that to your mind and your head. Okay. We need to declutter. That's what I learned right here on All Business. And uh, don't forget, tell your friends and uh, let them know all about all Business with Jeffrey has it right here on C-Suite Radio. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.